0: In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions all right, Don, so this is the part where we're just going to hop right into it and uh, now we're kind of everything, you know, we're, we're live on YouTube over here, about to go live anyway. And, you know, like we're recording the audio, recording the video, recording everything. And uh, why don't we kind of start off with letting uh, everybody know how we met, where we met, and, uh, and how we kind of ended up here today. And then... What we can do from there is, you know, kind of like peel the onion skins back about like, you know, who Don was, you know, where you came from and where we ended up now. So there'll be
1: like the whole thing, everything done. Oh, oh, oh. That's a long story, bud. you asked yeah. me a lot of questions there. Yeah, that's all right. We, we got lots of time here. <laughs> that's good. So we're not on a time Peace. No, yeah. no, okay. we're not at all. Okay. So
0: again, well, why don't you start where, uh, where, where we met and how we met Perfect. and we'll just kind of snowball it from there.
1: Okay. Well, I got two beautiful women that are involved in two different projects having to do with children. And both of them have taken my process called I Am Energy. And soon as they did that, it was like, Oh my God, we need this for our children. So one is involved with uh, ballet, teaching kids ballet from age one to six. I don't even know how that works with a, a, a one year old. But anyway, that's not, not my expertise. Yeah, that's or, not for us that's to not, No, judge, no, right? no. So. Just, she told me that's what it was. So great. And the other lady, uh, is starting a new school out here in Surrey. And, uh, from grade one to five or grade one to six. And it's a whole new way of teaching. And uh, she took my program as well. Like we, we need this for the kids. Like, and instead of walking through life half asleep in a comatose state, hit hypnotized by old programs that were created by the age of seven, that people just keep repeating, repeating and repeating, it's like, change that. So when we met, it was, I got, the, the, we got the three of us together one day to discuss what, like, what this would look like, how it'd be like, how I would, how I would integrate this, like all of those kind of things. And of course I needed their feedback from what they were an expert in, which is doing what they do with these children. And you know, I, 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 what was amazing is one of them, she had a 10 year old daughter and I took the for the husband and the wife and the two children, 10 and 12 year olds through my process on a Sunday. And I come back the next Sunday to do phase two. And the little 10-year-old girl was in the bathroom, and she had three physical symptoms happening. And she realized in a moment that it was her that was creating them, and in 15 seconds got rid of all three of them. Hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, like these kids, like I don't have to go through all these belief systems. We can just do it, and they can soak it up, and they can run with it. And that's what was so exciting. And so did the two ladies see the same excitement. Yeah. And whether we put it in a technology of some sort of game or an app or whatever, or because I mean, I, the demand is crazy. Just in the last two weeks, there's no way physically I can do that. I do have an idea of working with 150,000 people in a, an NFL football stadium all at once and those kind of things, but still. That's still uh, small in what I uh, in my vision of what I have to where I see this all going for humanity as a whole.
0: Yeah, and that and that's where we step in. That's where we met each other. Yeah, yeah, Obviously, yeah. I show up at the same spot. Yeah, I, like, we're almost it's finished. Like, well, finished well, who's at the meeting this guy? What's, what's going on? And, and, yeah,
1: here's the bell, and uh, oh, that must be Blake. And they went out. and sure enough, it was you. And uh, and we had our short, brief introdu- introduction, and you with the I am. Uh, saying, wow, oh yeah, awesome man, that's, uh, that's where it's at. Yeah, you
0: know? so let, let's take it there. And now we kind of establish, you know, like how we managed, just like this, this quick introduction at like a mutual friend's house, you know, just like kind of this chance bypass and kind of like an idea. of like these two people that you're friends with, I'm friends with them too. And, you know, they were super passionate, super fired up. And you know, like, Blake, you got to you know, you got to understand Don, you got to get him on your podcast, you got to understand, you know, kind of the like kids process and the reason why that we find so much value in it. And that's how we ended up here today. Um, but let's, like I said, let's take it way, 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 way back. You know, like you're this, you're this little baby, like, you know, you pop out your mom and then all of a sudden you're stumbling into this world. And you're like, what happens after that? Like, like who is Don, was Don all about the back from your earliest memory and just walk us through the course because you got a pretty interesting story. So let's well, hear it. Yeah. Well, I'm,
1: uh, I had six sisters and three brothers and I was right in the middle and uh, toxic, staunch Irish Catholic alcoholic home. And not only that, but my oldest sister and I, I had a conversation with her a year ago. And I said, Phyllis, like, was it really as violent in our home as I remember? You know, because like when we were kids, you know, you're tobogganing or something. You think it's a mountain. You go back five years later and you wonder how the toboggan even went down the hill. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. Like, it's like, did I really blow things out of proportion? And she said, Well, Don, this will help you a bit. She said, I studied behind the wood stove because that was the only place safe from flying chairs, uh, fist fights, glass, like, you know, like one Sunday we're all just sitting. I lived out in the country. 12 miles out of town I on Prince Edward Island, it's called Fort Augustus, 12 miles east of And um uh, and literally just about everybody in our community was, uh, was alcoholic families. They're all Catholics and they're all alcoholics. I don't know if it's always the same, but anyway, yeah. in ours it was. And then the staunch the Catholic toxic stuff that was going on from that perspective. And we were just, one Sunday we'd, we'd come home from church and it was a beautiful sunny day and uh, the front door was open and we're all sitting in, not out, maybe eight of us or so sitting in the living room just chatting. And uh, a guy walks in with a gun and he said, I'm going to shoot you all. And uh, everybody ran. like out of nowhere? Out of nowhere. Our neighbor, yeah. uh, not by our neighbor, like just had something psychologically seriously wrong with him, don't think? hopefully you know, and right. he had a gun in his hand yeah and everybody took off behind couches and everything except mom mom she, she just made one leap adam grabbed the gun out of his hand and said point the gun out him," and said you get out of here or you will be the next to die and that, like, not yeah. <laughs> so. that's so crazy
0: just when you're talking about it like that's it's like it's hard to even comprehend you know it's hard to be able to have like emotion attached to this situation because it's like Yeah, I couldn't even imagine, you know, or even just like witnessing like your mother step up in that kind of component of like at all costs. And then to take such a tone of authority through that as well. Oh,
1: uh, 100 percent, like total. And uh, now as powerful as she was, she was the opposite of that when it came to being sensitive. I remember I was five. We're all playing outside. I mean, like. with a family of 10 uh, here and then another nine on that uh, here. And then across the field, there's another six. Like it's pretty easy to get a baseball game going or like we're always playing sport something, right? And I walk in at five one day into the house and I say, hey, mom, can I have a hug? Get inside and play. Do you see anybody else in here talking about getting a hug? Get inside, don't be such a sissy. And it was like, yeah, yeah, she was tough. And there was, the sensitivity was missing, you know? Yeah. But uh, one of the things you talk,
0: but she might need to be tough like that too, just to just be able to protect herself in that environment, right? Oh, Where it's just like, 100%. Could you imagine being emotionally exposed in the wrong, at the wrong time of that? Or like, you know, she very well may have, could have been, and it worked out to her disadvantage and stuff. So it's probably just her guarding
1: herself oh, at the I, same I, time too, no, right? No, d- no doubt about it. And uh, uh, another story and this one, uh, I'll say the words, but they, uh, they don't do it now, but they did then because this is what the kind of things that happen for people and they don't know that all they're doing is repeating the same program or pattern. It's not 28,000 different ones. It's one. So uh, when I was uh, three, my mom with a parental wisdom at the time, I had a pink, uh, a, a security blanket. I mean, you got to get it, try to get security somewhere. Like, you know, like there's fights and there's like, there's... Hey, mine was orange. Mine was, orange. <laughs> mine, and mine was pink yep. and dragged around everywhere. Now in PEI and we lived out in the country, the, wasn't even paved roads then and uh, you know, it's red soil and I dragged this everywhere and I, you can only imagine what it looked like, you know, uh, color wise. And uh, so my mom at three decided I no longer needed, it and her parental wisdom at the time hit it on me. And so nine months later, and, and I you can go back in your nervous system and you can trace everything that's ever happened from moment of conception. You can access that. There's a way to do that. And at three years, nine months i uh, and we had an old farmhouse this is a single you know and there was a kitchen and dining room separated by an archway and i'm in over this closet over here and i'm rooting through all the old you know garbage cans and uh, I mean garbage, they wouldn't throw out because there's a half an inch of paint in one can and there's an old broom that might need 20 years from now, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that's old school living though. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. Have, like, yeah. The paper clips to be able yeah. to hold the lamp up still and you yeah. know, like the plastic on the couch. and yeah. oh yeah. yeah, 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 and Dad was in the war, he made 28 trips crossing his channel and he came back with post-traumatic stress that nobody even knew a name to at the time. And so everything was fear, everything was fear. Anyway, coming back to the blanket, I'm rooting through the room and I found Pinky. Well, I come out, this little three year, nine month old, white blondish, blondish hair, curly hair, and I just make a bead around the kitchen and around the dining room and I go, found Pinky with every single ounce of energy I could muster in that little body. I'm coming around the third time and mom and and about four or five were sitting over by the table, by the stove. And I come around the third time and mom just jumps up out of the chair, stops me in tracks, put her hands on both my shoulders, stops me dead tracks, grabs the pinky out of my hand, tore it in the, uh, in the shreds and threw it in the stove and burned it. Like it was all over in about 15 seconds. Now, it was amazing. I made a decision that day at the ripe old age of three years, nine months. I was never going to be that happy and joyful again. I was going to stop me because it was the joy that I lost. Pinky, all of that happened because of joy, and I did. I did, and that guy. I remember in uh 1978, when I was in Calgary, bought a 1976 Grand Prix. i a, a car lover. I, my first car was a 67 Mustang Fastback. Age, Eighteen, okay. So cars, 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 and I had a 60 I uh, bought a 76 Grand Prix LJ fully loaded off a guy that was work. we worked together in construction. And, um, it was a private deal. I went to his place, bought it, paid for it. And I pressed the, the, the odometer thing, you know, to go to zero for miles. Mm-hmm. I pressed it. So five, uh, five miles and 15 minutes later, a lady cut me off and never even got it home. Never even got it home. So that's the pinky. Recreated, you know, 20 years later. Uh, and so, and that just kept happening, kept happening. And so, uh, I left home early, left home at 18. I had her first daughter. I was 19 and my wife had just turned 18. Uh, I moved up to Prince Rupert, BC, got married up there, had my daughter Shelly up there. And then a couple of years later, I was in Calgary and we had my son Trevor. And, uh, we spent, uh, you know, I, I actually, I, I get into construction. And I was like, it took me 11 years to complete eight grades. Like school was just like, get me out of here. It's like, I'm in a cage. Like I don't, I, I, the, the way they taught, I was never taught how I learn, ever, ever taught how I learn, And, uh, so just kept failing and failing and failing grades. And so finally, when I got to grade eight, they said, okay, uh, maybe trade school. So I went to PVI, it was, uh, I took welding and uh, anyway, ended up, that didn't work out. But I ended up getting into plumbing. Uh, uh, I, I was in Calgary, I was delivering milk. And a buddy of mine was the general, the, the, the general manager of a project. that was called, it was the Calgary airport. They were building the Calgary airport. And he said, "Donna, uh, I want you to work for me." And uh, I said, "No, Ron, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I didn't want to leave the security of four dollars and fifty cents an hour for two dollars and eighty cents an hour, you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this is back in '74. And uh, and anyway, I said no. So three weeks later, come back. I said, "Don, come on." Need to, and he was the fellow islander. And come on. Uh, and I said, well, when do I start? He said, right now. Today, come, oh, come on, come to the airport right now. So that was my day off. So I went to the airport and I got the job and I'm back the next morning. I just called in and said, do whatever my job, I quit. I'm starting to be a And I started and I loved it. It was like, oh, my God, I get to play with my hands. And here's this big boiler room with chillers and boilers half the size of this room. And and I I just caught on. And and at that time they used to have a a journeyman and a third year fitting for a welder as a first year apprentice i had a journeyman and a third year working for me and i was fitting for five welders and it was was just like oh god i'm home like just something that really you know and uh uh, then i I, right uh i just got my journeyman ticket and right off the bat like three months after i got my journeyman ticket I mean, I was up in Banff, Um, actually, I I ended up quitting drinking on December 31st, 1979. So in three weeks, it'll be 40 years. And uh, at that time I was out in Banff and what happened during Banff was, I would go out on Monday morning and I'd come back on Friday evening, which gave me all this freedom from my wife. She wasn't counting my drinks. She didn't know how much I was drinking, like all of this kind of stuff. And it was kind of like I just, my drinking went off the edge of the table because we'd go right to the bar on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and like it just never stopped, right? And everything just kept getting worse, a snowballing effect, oops, a snowballing effect uh, around the drinking and, uh, and and then, and here's a decider, here's the decider. I was at a Christmas party on, it was like mid-November. And, uh, for, and the company are putting it on all free drinks and food and everything. And we show up, my wife, uh, my, the mother of my children, her name was Wilma. We're no longer together. We broke up in 21, 20, 2001. And um, anyway, we're at this party and I came back with a tray of drinks. And she said, who's that all for? <laughs> It's me, like free booze. I'm like, that's what I, yeah, they're they're mine. And I just started drinking and drinking and drinking. And uh, at midnight, she said, listen, you're getting wasted. Let's go home. I said, no, not leaving this pepper until this is dry. So two o'clock in the morning, I am completely wasted, making a fool of myself, all of that kind of stuff. And I got the keys and I threw them to her. And she says, I said, okay, honey, let's go. She said, Nope, you don't know how to handle your liquor. You drive. She gave it back to me. I said, okay. So I had a three quarter ton super cab truck at the time. And we went across Calgary from one end to the other, screaming and yelling at each other, hitting each other, just calling each other names, everything you could possibly imagine. Got home. I drove the ba- kids, the babysitter home, got back and we're still getting into it. And I screamed and yelled at the kids. And then the next morning, I'm sitting at the kitchen table I'm thinking, you know what, the world would be a lot better place if it didn't have Dawn Smith. That way there would be no loved ones getting hers anymore. And I knew my neighbor had a shotgun in his garage. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, he's got bars in the windows. Like, how can I get into his garage to get that gun? And just then, the only thing, now it created that it most of it, but the only thing that helped me was my crazy, toxic Catholicism, which I knew I'd go to hell for the rest of my life, whatever many lifetimes that would be if I committed suicide. So I thought, okay, okay I can't do that. I, I got to find another way and two weeks later my wife asked me to go to an AA meeting with my uh, brother-in-law who was in AA for five years at the time and I went to AA and I started and I you know at that time I don't know if they have it anymore but uh, they had the 20 questions and I asked answered 18 out of 20 I said oh, this is a bunch of bullshit anybody can, drinks can answer at least a dozen like seriously just that whole denial of addiction that the, the the denial goes with the addiction. That's why people are on skid row and don't even know why they're there. And, uh, and so anyway, I started in AA. And I was three months in and all I did was stop drinking. All, that's all I did was stop drinking. And I remember one night I was on 16th Avenue on and Center Street. I think it was called the Beacon Hotel. And even though I stopped drinking for all of those reasons, I'm sitting there and I look over and I see the tavern sign for the Beacon Hotel. It's not there anymore. And I thought, hmm, wonder, can I get in? Uh, do I turn left and get in around behind there or do I go right? Like, I'm thinking how to get a parking spot. Here I am. I almost kill myself 20 times in accidents, drinking and driving. Almost run over somebody. My wife and kids, like all of that's all gone. And here I am not thinking any of that, I'm thinking about a parking spot to get one drink. Okay. And just one of the many miracles that were interceded on, without me ever doing anything about it, there was an 18-wheeler behind me, all the vehicles had turn, gone ahead of me, it blew the air horn, scared the shit out of me, and I startled myself and away I went. And, uh, 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 you know. I'll just go back a bit from like the thing about growing up. One of the things that happened, I, I had eight near death experiences. One of them was, uh, when I was 16, uh, yeah, 15 and a half, 16, there was three of us were at, we were at the country dances, the country dances. And there was one in Vernon river. There was one in Mark Ryan. There was one at the Rollaway, and there was a live band, you know, Dino and the Satins or whoever. And we're at the dance. And I had just, I, I know, I hadn't started drinking then. I hadn't had a drink. So it was 15 and a half. And, uh, what happened was this guy, Danny said, Hey, Lenny and I are going down to the bootleg. Do you want to come for a drive? Sure. So, want to be friends? Want to fit in, right? And, uh, so here we go. And Lenny had a, had his brother's 64 Mercury sidestep half ton with a 390 in it. And we went to the bootleggers, you and Myers, is boot, the bootleggers. And I didn't know it, but Lenny had drank 24 beer that day. And I saw him drink a, a Mickey, a moon, a, a moonshine. Okay. That's homemade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. And, uh, so we get back in the truck heading back on the highway. It's the number one highway. We're heading to back to the, uh, to the uh, dance and. We couldn't tell how fast we we're going because the speedometer, there was a needle that stopped it at a hundred. So we we're going at least a hundred mile an hour. We met the RCMP. They pull a Huey and come after us. And as fast as we we're going, Lenny went faster. And then we were losing. I said, Lenny, let's just get up to the dance hall, shut this puppy off. Get into the dance. They don't even know who it is. Like who's, you know, no effing way. He said, we're going right here. And it was a 90 degree turn. It was in front of a funeral home. And uh, what happened is he hit the brakes. As soon as he hit the brakes, it flipped on its side and started turning in excess of 120 mile an hour. I'll tell you how I found that out. And it went for three telephone poles that way. When it stopped, it was It was headed into the road that we were going to turn. The windshield was out. The guy in the middle, Danny, had a one-inch scratch, not a one-inch cut, a one-inch scratch on his forehead. We got out of the vehicle. Lenny stayed with the truck, and Danny and I went in through the woods, and then we come back out after. And I'm standing there by the RCMP, and he's telling them we're going to get them. We know what they look like, and I'm standing there listening to this. And the guy said, how fast were they going? He said, all I know was we were doing 120, and we couldn't catch them. So that's how fast we were going when we flipped it and I was on the door waiting for this thing to rip apart and go and I'm gone and then whatever. Okay. So I had many of those kind of things and it was just this crazy thing. But coming back to this plumbing and pipe fitting, when I quit drinking, I quit drinking December 31st. So three weeks from now, it'll be 40 years. And, uh, at the same time. I went into the, I went into this project that I had worked on. It was the foothills hospital cancer clinic, and I was, I, I. It was just my dream job. It's like all of these, like these big boilers and chillers, and and we're putting in a new system and uh, like all these pipes. And I had welders were, and it was just my dream job. And I had a, I had a, a, a third. Uh, a, First year apprentice working with me, and we, it was just lovely. I just told him, "Leave me alone. I'll build it and tell you when I'm done." And then when we're finished, I went for another company. So I'm back to visit these guys that are still at the uh, at the cancer clinic because I went out to Banff there for that two years. I come back in, I'm just visiting, and the project manager was there, Alan Jaskowski. He said, "What are you doing these days, Don?" I said, "Oh, I'm I'm working for Sandow Construction up in um, up in Banff." He said, I want you to, build, I want. I just uh, let my uh, foreman go on Friday. I want you to replace him. What? Now, I, I'm like four months after I've got my journeyman ticket, and he says, I want you to be the foreman. So I did it. I took that job over. Then I did another one with another guy, 11-story. I did another 11-story, and then at a 13. And then I He. Al calls me in the office one day. He said, uh, yeah, don't come on here. I want to talk to you. So he comes in and there's a set of blueprints on the table. He said, Don, yeah, I got a new job here. It's an 18 story high rise. It's on the corner 7th and 7th. I want you to be the general uh, foreman. You pick out your uh, plumbing foreman, pick out your heating foreman, pick out your guys, and tell me how long it's going to take. And I'm saying, are you effing crazy, man? Like, there's, I, like, do you not know how over that head this is for me? No, Don. I, listen, I listen. I seen you. I know what you can do. It's yours. So, I didn't give him an answer. Spent a week. Talked to a few people. What the hell? What's the worst thing you can do? So I took the job. The first thing I had to do was find out how many hours. So I did, and none of this. Like I didn't know anything about anything, anything. I didn't even know the difference between those architectural and structural drawings here I am with this stack of drawings, with everything on, electrical, mechanical, and I, I had three sub trades that I was responsible for, and, you know, 15 men, and like, <laughs> what? And then I go down to the job site, and there was a big, big sign there, it's like two four by eight sheets of plywood, with a picture of this high rise. And I, said, I'm, 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 I'm nothing crazy to think I can do this. But yet, you know, I went through the, all of the hours, what it was going to take. And I passed it in down and we went and sat down. He said, well, that's too much, and that's too much. And I said, listen, man, this is what it is. And out of 18,500 hours, I was within 300 hours. You know, it's like just these things that just kept happening. And I remember once, I made three big mistakes in three weeks. And like, I'm talking like big mistakes like forgetting to order the crane to put the chillers and the boilers up on the roof okay so we had to hire a company it was a helicopter to build a crane to like it was like all of these things are missing the the rubber between the two layers in the gym that was on the top floor and and but alan came and said don i've never seen anyone make so many mistakes in all my life as you but i've never seen anybody come out smelling like a rose like you like it's i don't know how you do it just and but here was another thing. I'm a foreman for maybe six months. So I now five months actually. And here I'm sober. I quit drinking. And one of the things, I, I have to say one thing and come back to that. One of the things about uh, the, the the twelve step, which I was in for fifteen years. I was in AA for fifteen years. And one was doing the four step, like writing out all these things, these programs and. And so I did it and I had an appointment to see this Father Paul out in Cochrane. I was in Calgary at the time. So I go out with these 28 pages, uh, 28 pages of this written stuff. And I'm sitting across the table from this Father Paul, like I'm sitting with you. And I had this down like you couldn't, there wasn't enough room in that room for the shame that I felt for all the things I had done wrong, the people I had harmed, who I had hurt in one way or another, all of that, all that, and feeling so guilty, like there was no room for, you either had to have the room for all the guilt or all the shame, because there was just not enough room for both of them, okay? And, I, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm like this reading, and my head is down like this, so embarrassed, so full of shame, so used to this Catholicism from Father Butler and all of that stuff that you're just a bad person. You're just bad, okay? And the more I read, and I'm waiting. With my head down, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear a sound. And the sound I was waiting to hear was the door open, the door handle. And him saying to me, this Father Paul saying, get out of my office. I've never heard such filth in my life. That's what I was waiting for. The more it didn't happen, the more I sat up and looked him in the eye. And when I was done, he came over to me and he gave me a hug. He said that I had never seen in all of my priesthood a more pure soul. Said, Are you serious, man? That was, that night, there was a light that I saw in me that was so vast, it was uncontainable or unmeasurable. And that was the piece that kept me searching for that and how to hold that. That led me to where I am today to have figured all of these pieces out that took me 40 years and a 100,000 hours to figure out what that was all about and how it worked so that I could help others. So then what happened, uh, coming back uh, to the... Uh, I, I took the job. I took it. And two years later, I'm up on the top of the 18th story, I've completed It's done. With all the F-ups and everything, it's done. And instead of saying, wow, that's an amazing job. you know what I said? Oh, it was nothing anybody could do. And that's that not good enough system. And they are never good enough. And no matter what we do, we're never good enough. And lots of people just stop trying. So ones are driven to be good enough, and others are hopelessly victimized by the fact that they know they can never be good enough. And that's what most of that's driven by. Anyway, so there I am. See, and, and, I, and I'm just going to like throw in there
0: because, you know, through the course of maybe like the last like couple of years, and especially with talking to all the people who've been on this podcast over, over the last uh, year, that um, I used to never understand why that I would do all the things that I did. And it just didn't really seem to make a big deal to me. You know, I could do... All these things that people would say, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know, you know, like what possesses you to do it. Like it's just unimaginable and attainable. It's like superhuman. Like all these things that, and every time somebody would say, it, I would just never believe it. And then you know, like, and I still don't believe any of But the one thing that I've come to realize, which and is kind what of like you the, just said, that's the piece. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. And just to, just to finish that thought is that um, I think everybody's amazing. So when I sit there and I think like, well, I just ran hundred miles. I'm like, and when people are saying, I don't know how you did it. I'm like, well, I don't understand why you don't know that you can't. Right. Because I think everybody can. I think just people choose not to do things because they're they're challenging or they think that they can't. But I just never entertain the fact that I can't as much as I never entertain the fact that I can't. I just do, mm-hmm. and that's always just kind of like where I lie. So like I used to think I used to. I think I had to have this definition for why I did what I did or how I did what I did. But I realized that I don't need any of those things. I put myself into this, this box because of the world that I live in tells me that there has to be a definition versus that we all have amazing abilities to be able to do amazing things. We just have to get out of our own
1: way. Okay. Now tell me how you're going to do that. Uh, not you, because you, you figured that out. But my question is, 99% of the people, it's kind of like ivory soap. 99.99 100s are in an old system that is programmed from all this, uh, er, er, early childhood. And, but you need to know something, in all fairness to them, what this is. So think about yourself on a, on a 40 story building. Okay? and you're out on the balcony, or shall I say, you're, 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 you're visiting your friends and some of them are out in the balcony, but you have a phobia of heights, a phobia, not a fear, a phobia. So the difference between a fear and a phobia is fear is anxiety. You have anxiety about something in the future. Where a phobia is an intense, highly intense, scale of one to 10, a hundred internal response to a specific external stimuli. So let's say somebody, you or somebody in that group is out on the balcony with that phobia. Now you, your friends say, ah, listen, you know, there's a rail in here, man. It's five feet. How do you have to jump to fall over? I'm going to even hold your ankles. Do you think that's going to take their phobia away? No, not a hope in hell. Okay. Not a chance. And what happens is, people have these phobias. And it's that phobic response that people with major illnesses and major addictions have that others don't. And they're trying to get that balance. They're trying to get something, but it's so phobic that it's almost impossible emotionally to get through that, especially with the mind, because it's the mind that's creating it. And people say, well, just think, think differently. Yeah, no. Like go back up onto that 44th floor and think differently. Okay, so here's an example. The mother, my children, and I go to New York before 9/11. We go to the Empire State Building. I don't have these numbers exact. You'd have to look them up. But we're on the 80th floor. It's the first stop of the elevator. And we're looking around as well. And I'm saying, well, I'm going up. I'm going up next. I'm going up to the top. She said, Well, I'm not going. I said, That's okay. Well, no, I, you don't have to. I'm going. Well, you're not leaving me home. I said, Well, guess what? I'm going. Like, do you want to come with me or not? Like, you can wait here. I'll come back, but I'm going. Okay, I'll go. So she, we go up and I I think it's 111th or something. It doesn't matter, but it was up there and it's it was glass all around. She comes out and she immediately starts hyper. <laughs> And I touched her on the shoulder, knew where exactly I touched her, okay? Then I said, okay, Wilma, think about our two-and-a-half-story-old five-bedroom farmhouse on that seven acres of land, and you're up on the top floor looking out the window at at Sheraton. Yeah, I touched the other shoulder, went like this, done that, and she's, wow, what a beautiful view. That took 15 seconds. Okay, the phobia was gone, 15 seconds. Now, I'm saying, if I had stood there trying to convince her that it was safe, like, look at the concrete, you know, the glass, like, look at all the people there and see anybody else dying. Like, now, of course, there's layers and layers and layers under that, but that was a temporary fix.
0: Which you know, and like a lot of the stuff that you just described is just essentially patronizing somebody when they when they are going through that fear, when they're going through that anxiety, when they are going through those panic attacks. And you just say, "Well, look at the floor, look at the other people." Like that doesn't fix anything. That's just patronizing somebody yep. and having yep. their feel.
1: Yeah, totally. And so what I'm saying is, people have these phobic responses, but they're not to the spider, and they're not to the snake, and they're not to closed in places, and they're not to dogs, and they're not to whatever. You know, I have one guy, he was one of the most successful people, Fortune 500 guys in Canada, need a phobia of balloons. He's 45. You put a balloon in space, and he would just go Ape jet. Okay? Now, does that make any logical sense? Is that logical? No, not at all. There's no logic. There's no reason. There's no common sense. And yet people try to use that system to overcome the limitation when it's a different system completely that created it okay like it's it's completely different and so what it is you see and this is what has taken me this hundred thousand hours to put together this hundred thousand piece puzzle how every one of those pieces fit and if you take that one and put it over here it doesn't fit because this one doesn't and 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 like i did this for 40 years, 100,000 hours it took me to put this 100,000 piece puzzle together. How this works and how that connects to that and where does that go and live? So that I can do this in hours that took years. But remember, here's the key. I asked you a question, and even though you, you probably don't have one, but you could guess at the answer. So can we use a guessing game for this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fire away. Okay. So here's somebody with a phobia. Do you know somebody with a phobia?
0: Well, I'm scared of
1: spiders. They're perfect. This is good. This, this is amazing. awesome, man. Now, what age are you now? 36. How long have you had your phobia of spiders? Just guess. Just get that of your head. Guess. 25 years. Okay. 25 years. So we're talking 25 years you've had this phobia. Now, my question to you, Blake, is how long did it take to create it? Don't you get the head of your head? I didn't ask. I don't want a head answer. How long did it take to create it? I have no idea. I'll tell you. A nanosecond. And you repeated that spider phobia for 25 years. Now, I, whether it's a, a, in a book, on TV, it's a real one, whatever, whichever one it has to be to trigger it. OK, yeah, you, you still have it strong intellectual person like yourself that can run 100 miles and, and probably fill a dictionary of all the superhuman things you did okay so far not to mention what you're going to do okay now here is this phobia that you took 25 years to keep reproducing not recreating reproducing That took you a second to create. Now, if it only took a second to create, how long do you think it would take to re create it? If if, no, no, just wait. Just wait. If you knew how the system created it.
0: Well, you you would hope that it'd be that same proverbial
1: second. It is. There's no hoping to it. Now, stay with the phobia for a second. People have a phobia of being good enough. People have a phobia of being rejected. People have a phobia of being abandoned. People have a phobia of being judged about failure. And it goes on and on and on. And that's why they have trouble. And they're using an intellect, most people out there are using an intellectual process to change a system that was created neurologically. That happens that quick. That quick. Now, first of all, doesn't that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, would it make sense if I knew how that was created that I could reverse it as fast? It does.
0: You would think you fundamentally, you would think.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that tells me how powerful somebody is that can, and even those that are crippled with them, I have one lady at 32 phobias, her, her and her husband, her husband, brother, and the two boys on, took my program together, five hours from start to finish, they were all gone. All 32 focus. How'd that happen? Okay. So in a situation like that, so
0: like a, a couple questions that I have to ask. In a situation like that, is there a one that then there's a trickle down effect? So like you that you find like one that's like the deep seated issue, then Guaranteed. the rest of them just kind of go. And then you mentioned with your wife standing on the Empire State Building that, um, that you touched her in a certain spot and you touched her in another That's spot. That's an anchor.
1: Hmm? That's called an anchor. Anchor. Yeah.
0: So like, like, we'll like we'll explain that process cause I wanted to be able to talk. We just kind of like fast forwarded quite a bit from that point. So I'm just going to reel it back a little bit to, uh, to get you kind of explain that. Like, like how did you know, like, where did you touch? Is it generic? Is it specific? Is it an acupressure point? Is it like, like, is nope. it a trade secret? Like what was? No, nope, not a
1: debug. I just pick the spot. Let Let's just say it's this jacket I've on. So what I'm doing is I'm anchoring that feeling. Kinesthetically. Okay, I happened. This is where I know with it with this T here. I know exactly where I pressed. That's all. I'll do the same here. So now I anchor. I'm anchoring the uh, phobia fights. Okay. Now this is temporary. I'm not suggesting people do this because what you're doing is you're taking away something that's covering something up that has to get dealt with. Now, I have to do that first. But I'm just saying I did that because here's my mother and my children freaking out. Okay. And so here's, here's the uh, anchor for the... Uh, Terrified Heights, here's the anchor for looking up at a two and a half story building in the same town. It's calm, like, okay. And I go like this, hold them both at the same time, then let this one go. And this takes over. Now, what if you could do that to the very first thing? that ever started your whole programs. And when I'm talking about programs, let's be clear on this. We have negative beliefs that we have about ourselves. I'm not loved. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve good things. I'm a failure. I am bad. And we could go on and on and fill a dictionary with these these are called negative beliefs we have about us and almost exclusively they're at an identity level got that This here is the positive beliefs that we have about ourselves i am good enough i am worthy i am loved i am lovable i am safe i am worthy I do deserve good things, on and on. Now, most people think this is positive. Wouldn't you? Seems like it. Yeah, right? Sure. Like, this is the system you run without knowing that. You've got some of this going on, but you've got this one. Okay? You've got both of They're not separate. You can't, you haven't separated. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so, here's what people don't know. That these two systems are one system. When they're talking about duality, this is when people talk about duality, they're talking about these two. Okay. They're talking about this, but this is not duality. Okay. Not at all. Because depending whether you're going to be a victim in life or an abuser in life, you will be 80% in one system and 20 in the other. Or 80% in one and 20 in the other. And the person that you're with, there are people that like you will run into the 80 20, 80 20, 80 20. Okay? So, why
0: is 80 20 just like a number you're throwing out there, or is the 80 20, like where does the 80 20 come
1: the, from? The, uh, from working with so many people over so much time, this is approximately how much time this person, the victim, spends in being a victim. And they break out 20% of the time and you know, I can do this. I know I can do this. Like, just let, give it to me and I'll do it. Okay. And then this, they, they you can't stop them, they take one program or the other, they're accomplishing, they're achieving. They got the big money. They got the big, you know, all of this, but the guy with the 20 billion, you want to know why he can't give it away is because he has to get to 22 billion because that takes him one more notch up the most richest person in the world, which makes him that much more good enough or so he thinks. So money is not the problem. Money is not the answer. Not, uh, partners aren't the answer. Houses aren't the answer. Cars aren't the answer. Nothing external is the answer. Because this is these. There's two things about these two. They're fear-based and they're externally referenced. And why is it only those
0: two? Like, why is it a victim and an abuser? Like, like well, are they we only into- looking at negative emotions here? Or like, is I still understand where the, like, the victim and the abuser part and why there's nothing else. Are we just not well, talking about that yet?
1: Okay. No, we, I, I haven't. Yeah. I got to explain okay. this piece. Yeah. Okay. But remember, th- this guy here, or this lady here, is going to do everything they can to be successful. We have a guy down south of the border that kind of uh, is the head of the country. And this is... This is big time. I, I, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I don't care what the casualty is. I don't care the cost. This, this Okay? So, that's an extreme of this. That's an extreme. And all I'm saying is that whichever one you're the most comfortable in, you'll spend 80% of your time approximately mm-hmm. in that energy. Be it that or this. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it just, it just, it makes sense as in like, you know, if you identify like those two, I just don't understand like why it has to
1: be either one of those. Well, I'm just telling you, you tell me a behavior and I'll tell you which one it fits in.
0: Oh, so you're kind of just looking at like you're generalizing, you know, kind of like behavior and you're just lumping it into like one of two categories.
1: Yes, they will be one form or another of this. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying
0: okay i get and they're based on
1: beliefs that people have about themselves and about their world Mm -hmm. and they're either going to be a victim to the world or they're going to like there's actually three there's a third one i just
0: i i guess i'm looking at it now that you said it like that is you know like you're looking at like you know, other people are like introverted or extroverted or like social or antisocial, and like there's different behaviors. They also can blend. They also overlap. You know, you're a little bit of one. So like I, I see now a lot more clearly where you go with that for sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and then what I'm saying is it'll all fit in. I just most time this is about being in their power. Okay. When you run that hundred mile run or a hundred kilometer, whatever it was, that's you being in your power. That's this power that you have inside. But most people's not tapping into that. You already told me that before I even said it, you know, that they don't. They wonder how you did that. And those are the times you're in this, and I'll explain that in a moment. Okay. But I'm just saying that the behaviors of people in general are one of, they'll fit in the umbrella of either one of these. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And they're either a victim to life, or like if you take the fight, flight, or play dead, is basically what it is. Okay, coming back to growing up, I remember eight or nine of us under uh, the table, and a thunder and lightning storm with blankets all around over the top of the table, so we weren't going to be killed by the lightning. Okay, anybody that you took a picture of somebody they had red eyes, that, that that's the devil. Stay away from that person. That's the devil. Like everything, you're going to die. Okay, and this is old brain survival. And even those that look successful and have everything and all of that, they will have this because it's externally referenced. Their nice home and their car and their career and their spouse and their clothes and their all of that. That's this. Okay. And it's at an identity level. And they will do everything and anything to get it. And these will do everything and anything to not get it because of that cost, the price, or like me, I'm not going to get this. You know why? So I'm going to lose it. Just pinky. It's pinky. Okay. And the, and the kid,
0: and this can be on like a conscious or a subconscious level. Like it, did, like we can either like you know be aware or not be aware. Well, we it's just like in inside of us. This is just who we are. We wake up every day and like that's a part of our personality. Like no matter how it got there, like that's just like who we are, whether we're aware of it or not.
1: It's who we think we are. It's not who we are. Mm -hmm. It's who we think we are. Now, that's the beauty. That's how things can change so quickly because these are both smoke screens. They're an illusion. Neither one of them are who we are. It's who we think we are. Okay, big difference, major difference. Now let's talk about this one. For this is a knowing. This is a knowing of who we are, who we always were, who we always will be. Okay? This is, there's zero fear in this. Now listen to the words that I say that describe this. I am love. Not I am lovable. I am worth. Not I am worthy. These aren't affirmations. you, You use affirmations for this. These aren't affirmations. These are a state of being. I am invincible. I am free. These are solid states and they're coming from a knowing of who we are. You can say these words all you want, but if they're coming from here. They don't mean anything. They won't they're not they're they're not describing a solid state. It's something at all. Okay. These are I am lovable. Yeah, I'm going to look in the mirror. I'm going to say I'm lovable. What color are your eyes, Blake? Green. How much effort have you, uh, and you're what? 35? 36. 36. At 36 years of your eyes green, how much time have you spent trying to keep them green?
0: Well, they were blue for about the first 10 years of my life, and then they became green for whatever reason. I'm not too sure why. I've never really looked into it, but um, I put very little effort into my eyes being green.
1: Let's call it zero.
0: I like that. Yeah. It's pretty much how much effort I put into them. And that's how
1: much effort it costs to be in here once we know how to be here. It's the same as keeping your eyes green that they are now. Okay, That's how it works. And I liken what I do to that of Michelangelo. So when Michelangelo finished with the statue of David, he was asked on many occasions, like, how did you do that? Well, he said it was simple. I went to the quarry, and I saw this big block of granite, And I saw David sitting in there, standing in that block of granite. So I took that block of granite and put it in my studio, and I carved away all the marble that wasn't David. I carve away all of the negative beliefs that aren't you, and I carve away all the positive beliefs that aren't you, and you're left with the knowing of who you are. That's what I do. And I figure these all out. And I trace it to the origin of its beginning. And it's almost always a trauma. Okay? Almost always a trauma. The creator. And I lance that emotional boil. And this pops. And they're left with this. So here's an example to give you an idea of times, numbers, all of this. I was asked to be a guest speaker for the Canadian Conference for the Young People's uh, YPO. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And a a guy that I knew was one of the organizers. And he took my program. He said, oh my God, Don, we got to get you in here. Now this was September 2008. And he said, uh, okay, like how many people can be in a room? I said, Brian, listen, I'm not the ordinary speaker. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to give information. I'm not interested in information. I'm interested in experience. So I, I'm, I want a room where I can take people through a, a short process that so they can experience this. I said, okay, how many do you need to start with? I said, well, Brian, like if I'm coming from Vancouver to Toronto, could you see if you could, you know, blackmail something like enough to get six people in the room that I can kind of work with them? He said, "No problem, no problem. I'll, let me. I'll do what I can do." So comes the day, and it's a big room. And what happens is we had to close the doors at 38 people, and it was all couples. And they were came, they were curious about like, who, what is this? Who is this? What's, you know, and they all came with this. And I asked a question and the question I asked, raise your hand if you have a phobia, an intense fear of something, including failure. 85% of them put up their hand, men and women alike. Okay. And I'm just talking like this, facing this way. And so over here on my right hand corner, a lady starts bawling and crying. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I got two hours to do this. I got two hours to do something. I got 38 people in the room. What am I going to do? So I come over. I said, Dear, I, I, I need a volunteer. No, 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 Gordon, don't let me take me. I said, Come on, dear. You'll be fine with me. And her name was Valeria Shoop. I can say that. She'd love me to say that. I brought her up. I did not know anything at the time of what she had. All I knew is she was a, a basket case. But what she had was, she had six phobias. And she had six physical symptoms. Chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel disorder, irritable stomach disorder. She had, uh, two others that I don't know. One of them I don't know the name, of, and the other one I forgot. And the other one had a phobia of flying, a phobia of heights, a phobia of driving. Now, you see, phobia was so bad driving that she had her hand on, this, on the suicide handle and she had her foot up on the dash all the time with her husband guard driving. Okay? She had a fear of her kids dying. She had a fear of her husband dying. She had a fear of her own self dying. It just went on and on. She had them for 38 years. 38 years she had all of this. Okay? We start at 2 o'clock. We're done at 10 to 3. 50 minutes. Start to finish. Start to finish. 50 minutes. And when I were finished, I said, so, Valeria, what's happening? Oh, my God. And what had happened was she had told me about, she didn't give me the details until after, but she just said uh, she saw her son die, uh, her brother. And what had happened was when she was nine, her brother was eight. They were biking together, he went through a stop sign, they were from Nova Scotia, he went through a stop sign, and was immediately hit by a vehicle and uh, uh, killed on the spot with guts going out of his head, like just everything, just, and that's all she ever saw. And that became her identity, that experience, okay? And when we were done, she said, oh my God, that movie stopped. It stopped gone, Don. And then she said, and her brother's name was Donnie, I see him in heaven singing to me with a big smile with his arms open. The next morning, the lady with a phobia of heights was the first to volunteer to repel off a three-story building in the harness, less than 24 hours later. She flew home no problem, she drove home no problem. All the phobias are gone three weeks later, all the physical symptoms are gone. Isn't that that sounds like a miracle? But all it is is I Lanced the boil that created it all. And everything that was attached to that bubble and balloon got lanced, and all the behaviors of these went with it. That was 11 years ago, and I never did another thing with her. Thirty-eight years. 50 minutes, 11 years later, and that was it. Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah, it is amazing. Like, you know, I really look at it. as like, you know, when we hold that stress and that tension, like in our bodies and, you know, like, it just, it manifests in us like physically and, and emotionally and like that cortisol buildup and like, you know, like just like the amount of oxidative stress that ends up in our body, like how it just eats away at us in, in so many different ways that you know, and these are the things that like I don't think that anybody will ever really be able to fully explain because there's yes, so many triple trickle-down effects of
1: it. So it's all explained. That's what I do. I unravel that for people so they can see every one of these pieces, where they came from, what they look like, how they do it, all of that in a questionnaire. I give them a questionnaire, and they they describe this. They don't know they're describing this, but they describe it.
0: Like what? What are some of the things on your questionnaire? Like like what? If you just name like a, like a couple, I don't expect you to go through the whole. No, I,
1: I wouldn't do that. But yeah. it's uh, uh, what areas of your life shows up where you're not loved? What does that do? Like that not being loved? And then it's and an area in your life where you feel loved. You describe that. And they just describe all of this and and an area of your life where you're not feeling good enough. Or areas of your life that you feel good enough. And they will, and they describe this in detail. I had a couple from, and sometimes you'll get a yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. But I, they can't take my program. But anyway, they start with that. But I had a couple just recently, about three weeks ago now, in California. She wrote hers, and it, it, it just keeps expanding as they write. OK, hers was 10 pages. His was 15. And yet I knew in the first line of the first paragraph, two words in the first line that I knew what was driving this whole system. Now, that's the wisdom of 100,000 hours of doing this to just figure out. It's kind of like, you know, there's, there's these billboards now. And they're talking about uh, blood count or whatever, and they'll say, uh, "Is it one? They'll say one red blood. You know, there's one capsule that's red, and the rest are white. Uh, come in and see us. We 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 need to we need to do that. And it's like I can see that one red one, out of all of the millions of, uh, of uh, the you know the white ones. Uh, so uh, in other words, I can see I can see that black and where it comes from." And I'm just telling you, it's kind of like it starts, and then it just spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. And it spreads, and then, and 85% of our, uh, uh, sorry, 93% of our waking moment is subconscious. It's out of our conscious awareness. And people just repeat the same thoughts. It's like... Out of the 60,000 thoughts you have in a day, 70,000 thoughts you have in a day, 60 are going to, at least 60 will be the same as yesterday. At least sixty thousand thoughts that you think the 70, 60 of them will be the same as yesterday. So let me ask you
0: this. Somebody said this to me not too, uh, not too long ago, and I actually really took it to heart. So, and I really feel like there's, there's a correlation into like everything that you're saying where, um, like our first reaction is our programming and our second reaction is our intuition. Do you feel like that a lot of how we get into like, you know, like these two, um, these two discs or buttons that you keep referencing to this red and this black one here, um, that, uh, like that's steering away from our intuition because like our intuition. We allow ourselves to be able to tap into our intuition. Like we know the way like our intuition will guide us the way and our intuition is the epicenter of feeling love and accepted and, you know, like our stillness, like our everything, like it really, again, is like our our epicenter of like who we are, you know, but since we are in this world today of like hyper influence in every category, whether you were, you know, brought up like Irish Catholic or, you know, like uh, we're on a farm in Southern Alberta, you know, like anything in between, you know, there's just so much programming that goes into us, but we're not taught from a young age to listen to our intuition and our intuition really is what speaks volumes to us.
1: One hundred percent. I'm telling you, this is purely intuitive. This one here is a mind chatter that never shuts up. Because the ego is going to try to keep you safe. And there's really three states here. So all this is is uh, the different states of either uh, attack, play dead or run. That's the three when you're not safe. You're doing one of those three all the time when you're in here, to whatever degree. This is your intuitive guidance. There's a wide open heart. There's a divine worth. There's an invincibility and all superheroes. How many superheroes have you ever watched that they were talking about their fears? Like seriously. There isn't any.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say I I can't really throw an honest answer out there because I'm just like, when was the last time I connected with superheroes? But yeah. But the one thing I do want to say, just to kind of give everyone, because like I know that, like I I feel like the with like these two like buttons here that you know you keep bringing up is that um, what allows us to keep holding on to those things is because like we have a fear of like just really expressing some of these things that like may be like hard, you know, for us to be able to like make it public, as in like public, maybe we're just recognizing it ourselves or we made it to one person, 10 people or 100 people. So um, I know I've said it on this podcast before and anybody who kind of knows me, like knows this about me, but um, I feel like where I was holding on to, one of the biggest things that I was holding on to in my life that prevented me from really just accepting who I am and being at complete and utter peace with it um, is shame. And how that shame actually really manifested itself in my life was um, allowing other people to hold the mistakes that I made in the past against me because I was shameful of them. But forgetting that like these were mistakes I made in the past and not recognizing the value in them. So once I realized, I was just like, you know what, because I was shameful of these things, I never wanted to talk about them. And because I was shameful of these things, I allowed other people to use them as tools against me when they wanted to be able to use them as tools against me. And I did that too, because there was also a way for me to be able to keep my guard up, keep this shell up and not be emotionally exposed. So then one day I was just like, you know what? I don't care. You know, like it like what is what is the worst could be is the people who are gonna judge me on my mistakes I made in my life, if I'm judging me for the mistakes I've made in my life, I'm never gonna be able to grow. So all the things that I ever held shame for that I did in my past, I let them go. And I can talk about them openly now, and I'm absolutely fine with it. And it's it's gave me such personal sovereignty, like I can't even explain it. Like when when people ask me, like, you know how can you go through or have gone through what you've gone through in your life and smile? I'm like, because I have personal sovereignty. I know I do. I feel it every day I wake up. I feel it as we're sitting here right now. So it makes me smile talking to you because I let all that go. I don't, I don't harbor any of it. Like I go through my tough times, like absolutely, you know, but I don't really feel like it lasts because I come back to this place inside me where I know who I am. I know where I come from. I feel it. And because I don't, I don't harbor things. I I don't allow myself to be able to get in my own way. And I realized the biggest way that I get in my own way is not just accepting who I am and accepting who I am. And I say this to people all the time and I beat this to death on the podcast is that I've been a series of mistakes to get here and I'll be a series of mistakes to get to where I'm going to go. And I'm totally fine with that. I'm okay with every step along the way. And I feel like once I was okay with that is when I actually started to grow as a human being. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with like your system here about letting go and kind of getting back to relying on to like that, that place of like intuition, because, you know, now I sit that in, I think it's like that, that proverbial, like 24 hour rule before you send the email, you know, or like, you know, like just waiting like thinking about sleeping on it. You know, like, you know, all those kind of things are always these things we've always known, and we've always had these systems in place to be able to allow our intuition to be able to guide us. You know, but I just think like with the world that we live in today, like we need, we need more answers. We need more definition. We need to be able to hold it in our hands. Like it needs to be something that is there because we don't want to believe that we have this voice inside that'll guide us if we just let it. And I think like that is like really, truly who we are as people is that little voice inside saying like, hey, I'm here too.
1: So, you know, you're an anomaly be able to get through all of that on your own, okay? All I'm saying is all of those things you're talking about, the judgment and self-criticism and the fear of others' rejection and all of those kind of things and, and just, oh, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to hold this and all of that. All I'm saying is, I figured out all of those pieces and can do it in hours for people, mm-hmm. okay? Do it in hours for people that have now it's come to the point that they have major stuff going on, you know, like major illnesses and diseases. Like I had a guy who had five major addictions, alcohol, food, gambling, uh, alcohol, drugs, food, gambling and sex. Okay. All the good ones. All the good ones. All the top, the toppies. Okay. Yep. And he was 40 pounds overweight in the middle of a divorce. Him and his wife flew out from back east. That weekend, they were gone two and a half years later. I worked with him. I met him we played golf, I meant to say, and he still had no trace of those five major addictions. Okay, like all I'm saying is I found a way to reverse this whole process and take all of the learnings because you mentioned this a few times and this is pivotal. These are vital learnings. There's something that we are here to learn. And just removing this as a, as a removing, they'll come back. It's like, what did I come? What are these in my life about that I came to learn a lesson? I'm here to learn a lesson about something. The only thing is, you see, I see this as expansion rather than growth. Okay. So growth is how long it took for that plant behind you to grow to the size it is. Okay. I'm talking about something happening in a couple hours and it's that times 10. That's expansion. Like something that goes and it's there. All I'm talking about is stripping away this, taking the unbelievable, absolute awesome gold nuggets out of this before I do, before I do that, and then shift it into the knowing of who we are, which is a built-in Intuition—it's built in. It's—it's it's your compass, and it doesn't have this interfering anymore. Okay, it's like okay, here's here's my compass, and I—and it's like this knowing of who I am. Do you know how many women that I work with, and they say, "Oh my God, now I know how a Wonder Woman feels," uh, like but crazy awesome things, like a lady. She took my process, and and she'd been trying to toilet train her, her three-year-old daughter for six months with zero effect. Okay? She gets home on Sunday night. On Monday at noon, the daughter was toilet trained. Like, how does that work? How does a lady... I didn't even know this... I worked with her. She was so frail. She was 97 pounds. And she had to come down the stairs where I was to work with that. And I'm thinking, like, you look at, like, can, can you get down those stairs? Like, I might, do we, maybe we can just do it in the living room. Okay. No, no, I can. So we went down and five minutes short of three hours, we we're finished. And then she said, Oh my God, it's gone. And I said, what's gone? She said, well, I've had this bulge, three inches long, two inches wide and an inch and a half thick on my stomach. I've had it here for a whole year, more than a year, actually. She said, it's gone. Now, did I do that? Not a chance. And I didn't even know it was there. How could I do it? And so, That's what this, where I, my direction is now. And, and my direction at this moment in time, not saying it'll change, not change, but in this moment in time, I've decided to put a program together for people that are experiencing uh, the, the C word. And it's personal to me. I'll tell you why it's personal. In 2014, I lost my wife, Rosie, to the sea worship, February 2014. She got sick in December 2012. We were in Australia for the big 2012, the Airs Rock. And she started getting sick there, and she never recovered, never recovered. And uh, and then, so you we know, went through all of this process, in February uh 2014, she passed. Uh, long She got had it started in the lungs and it just spread everywhere. And uh, in June of 2015, found, uh, 2014, found out my daughter had the C word, and it was a berry. And she passed in May of 2015. So I lost my beautiful wife, Rosie, and my beautiful daughter, Shelly, in 15 months, to the seaward. Now, I'd like to have what I have now, then, so I believe it would have made a major difference, especially for my daughter. But I decided to do a program with no fee associated to it, other than people been allowing me to use all of the data, all of the all of their story, their history, and whatever, and to find out what can happen with a group of 10 to 12 people that have some form of the C word and see what happens. And it's my gift to humanity, because I can't think of a better Christmas present. To be free of a toxic disease, knowing that I don't deal with the disease itself. But I had one story that's crazy even to me. Even to me, it's crazy. It's like I'm in my condo. There's three condos on the mountain, and I'm in the Far East one, and I take the garbage down one day. cans in here, and the paper in here, and the bottles in here, and the garbage in here. And, and I go to go out, and there's a guy comes in, and I had seen him because people walk up and down front, and the on the uh, on that road in front of the three condos. So I'd seen him walking, didn't know his name or anything. And he's come in and he's kind of like half slouched over, like in a fetal position, but standing. If you could picture what that would look like. I said, uh, oh, how are you today? Oh, not very well. I said, well, what's going on? Well, I've had prostate cancer for 16 months. I've had thirty two radiation treatments. They were off in their degrees. And they burnt my stomach wall intestines and some of my organs. Said I don't know how much time I have today. I said don't listen to that bullshit. Can I ask you a few questions? Yeah, okay, can you can you tell me your name? That's your first name, just so I can call you by name. Yeah, it's Al. Great, Al. So I started asking questions too. Boom, 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 boom. Okay? Halfway through, halfway through, Blake. Say, oh my God. I think something just left my body, done. Okay. Didn't pay any attention. Finish the process. Start to finish. From the moment I said hi to the moment I walked out the door it was 15 minutes. And I just left. Didn't have his phone number or anything, nothing. Just had his first name. Three weeks later, I get a phone call. Don, this is Al. Remember me? Met you in the garbage room? Yeah. Just had x-rays. Don't have any cancer. Wow. How did I do that? What did we do together? And so, I've had many stories of that. It. And it's not just, it's not just the C word. I had a guy that came in with four herniated discs, two inoperable and a few years earlier he had already had two operated on and removed or whatever they do i don't know the medical and he came in and we were doing something not related to it, the like he just told me about them as i was working with them. and when we're done he stands up he says oh my god I've never been able to sit any more than five minutes without the pain. And he said, I just want to tell you, too, Don, that I had the strongest medication known for painkillers. And I was taking 1200 milligrams a day. That's the maximum. But many times I took 1500 because it was, it was just that painful. And he said, I've never been able to sit for more than five minutes. The pain is too excruciating. He just sat for three hours. I said, oh, my God, the pain's gone. Okay? Six, uh, what was it? Just let me think. Uh, well, a week later, he was off all medication. Six weeks later, he calls me and said, Don, I just had x-rays. There's no trace of herniated discs in my back. There's not even a trace of my operations that I had years ago. It's gone. Now imagine, imagine that. So without I, I, don't, I don't deal with the symptom. I deal with a cause, that created causes, of all symptoms. So that people can back can get back to their light, be intuitively referenced, feel invincible, with a wide open heart and a divine worth. It's a complete package. They already have it, just like the Statue of David from Michelangelo. It's already there. I don't give them anything. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, like, so like, it is a big part of, um, kind of like, like what you're talking about is like, like, again, is like when we harbor this kind of emotional trauma, it leads to like physical ailments, like herniated discs, you know, like, um, like, like cancer and, you know, like just all these things, like Like, is that kind of like the foundation of what you're getting is like this because we just don't deal with um, like past trauma, like in our lives. And we just let it stew and stew and build and manifest that we always know that things will like come out in different ways, you know, like in an easy way, you know, like. I guess for people probably to like understand that too, is if they have drawn the references that, you know, like if you're mad at one person and you don't deal with it, you could lash out at somebody else who's undeserving, you know, but like, do you feel so like, that's kind of like the system, you know, like that you've created where, you know, because we don't deal with these things with inside of ourselves, it's our body lashing out against us. And, you know, like when you, when you deal with the root cause of like these, this trauma that, it releases the body of um, like kind of like torturing itself.
1: Yeah. But the body doesn't lash out at ourselves. Okay. That's our belief systems. It's trying to deal with this. Okay. And we've given the command to deal with it with these with this system. And it doesn't know how. It's like, do you know a two-year-old right now? Yeah. I have one. Oh, you have a two-year-old. Yeah. Okay. What's the the two-year-old's first name? Oh, I actually don't talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No problem. Yeah. So here's your two-year-old. You're going to the store. Get groceries. Something. And you say, here, it's the keys you drive. I've actually tried that. (laughs) (laughs) You are a very youthful being. Anyway, once again, you're an anomaly, okay? Uh, Which I'm not usually dealing with. Even though you still have your spider phobia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they got eight legs done. They <laughs> no. don't know if you've Sorry, seen you're, not sweaty, gonna you, you're not going to convince me, right? <laughs> you're not going to convince
1: You might as well forget what? about that one, okay? And it's like giving your uh, child the keys to drive. Now, what's going to happen between there and the store or wherever? What's going to happen with the two year old drive? Now, you have to stretch your imagination of. The siege and the arms and the and the putting the gas and all of that. Let's just say that's all possible, and it's a two-year-old driving. What's going to happen?
0: Yeah, like inevitably, like a, probably a massacre of
1: people in a parking lot. Yeah, or a car hit another car or a tree or something. Like it's it's in inevitable. Inevitable is something's going to happen. Inevitable. Yeah. And so this is what happens when you give the ego the responsibility to find a way to love you, get love, find a way to value you, find a way to keep you safe, find a way to keep you free. It is going to crash, not because it's attacking you, it's because it doesn't know how.
0: Well, it also is what keeps our, our, you know, like our nervous system just like completely overtaxed, like,
1: and that's the other problem. We become addicted to the adrenaline created by the drama that's one of the reasons why people have difficulty holding this there's two reasons they're addicted to the chemicals released from the drama the adrenaline okay or they have such an attachment to this identity they don't want to let it go that's the two reasons why they have trouble holding this when we do make the change but there's three states to the whole uh, the transform the the process Transformation, holding, acceleration. Now, like I got crazy stories both in business and in, in, in athletics as well. Like, and I'm not just talking. The only reason why I'm doing this is because of Rosie and Shelley. That's why I'm doing this. I'm giving back. In the hopes that somebody can benefit from something that I would have loved to have had. Okay? That's why I've chosen this. I didn't want to choose this. That wasn't my choice. When I was working with pro athletes, I worked with four NHL hockey teams, worked with numerous of the, the superstars in the NHL, worked with one of the biggest presidents in the NBA, one of the biggest names in the NBA, worked with PGA for a year, whole season, you know. Like I work with some of the biggest names, the CEOs and CFOs of Fortune 500 companies, you know. And there's one that there's a there was a book written. It's called Losing the Signal, and the CEO in there describes his experience with me and how they were in the middle of a multi-billion-dollar lawsuit, and they had two choices. They either pay the lawsuit and go bankrupt, or they fight it and the uh, SEC uh, would stop them from selling their product in the States, which was 85% of the product. So either way, they were screwed. Okay? And he had himself locked in the office. He describes it in the book called Losing the Signal. How uh, the, the darkness and the, and the heaviness were tired about one of the most successful people in Canada, they were one of the top, when they were at their peak, one of the top in the world. They were right next with Apple. Okay? And he describes our meeting. And how in three hours it was like, wow, I got my power back. He never lost it. He just covered it up with all this stuff. And that's what I'm talking about. We cover it all up. But I just know how to unleash it. And then about seven months later, because I, something that happened, they got to that point, they finally figured it out what they were going to do. And they, there was 40 people in a room, CEOs on both sides, C, the C class on both sides, uh, the, on that one side, and all the lawyers on both sides, and all of these, there was 40 of them in a the room. The CEO told me this. Halfway through the meeting, the CEO says, one of the CEOs, it was co-CEO, I got to go. I'll be right back. And said, where are you going? Like, what are you talking about? We're ready to sign. I'll be right back. And he calls me. I'm on the third tee box of Furry Creek, ready to tee off, my son and I. And I got this call. Yeah, uh, this is what's going on. I said, how much time, Jim, do I have to change this? He said, I got to be back in the meeting in eight minutes. I said, okay, you ready? Back into the meeting, he'd authorized a check that morning. to be written for $1.2 billion. Told the CFO to do it. Because back in the meeting, we're not doing it that way. We're doing it this way. That's six-minute phone call saving $615 million. Okay? So, yeah, I love working at that level. I drove. A car I had was modeled after the Formula One race car. I love speed. I, 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 I love doing things fast. Okay, and I love working with athletes. I, you know, I work with this time of year. I work with Jerome again on Calgary Flames. He had two goals. Actually, it was the 29th of November, to be exact. He had two goals. Flames had not been in the playoffs for seven years. Okay, and I left him a message at the Saturday when I was in Calgary working with a, a business client. I get back and here's a call from him. I call him. Yeah, we'll start Thursday. Great. So I flew into Calgary and I worked with him. And we started that process. That year, he won the Morris Richard Trophy with the most goals, with 41 goals. 41 goals from two, a third of the way into the season. And they took the Flames to within two games of winning the Stanley Cup. Now, okay. That's cleaning this up so they can be in this. Because we're all meant to be in this, every one of us. We're all superheroes and we all have superpowers that are unique to us. We're all here to use them. And if it takes this to get us here, then this is worth it. And I just make sure that we figure out what this is about so we can figure out what that's all about, so we can let this go and we don't pursue it. And that's what I'm doing with these 10 to 12 people with the C that have been labeled with the C word. So that they can have a grip that's Christmas.
0: Well, how do people get a hold of you, Don? Like, why, why don't we? Uh, that's a great place to be able to, to wrap stuff. Like, why don't you let everybody know how, how do we get a hold of you? Like, how do people get a hold of you if they want to participate in, in your study? Like, how. Um, like the contact information, and, you know, like like email, phone number. Yeah, like, it's an email.
1: It's an email. It's Don, D-O-N-N, at IamEnergy.ca. It's I-A-M, energy, I-A-M, energy, dot C-A. And they titled it Free to Be Me. I'll know what it's about, and I will open that and see if they uh, are qualified to be a participant in this process. And like like, what what's the
0: deadline, you know, like when do you want to have, you know, like all of the people who are going to participate, like when's it running? Like, how, how does
1: it work? It's very simple. It's on December 20th. It's from 830 in the morning to 530 in the evening. Okay. They have to talk to me ahead of time so that I will they send me an email with that email, give me their contact information and I will call them back and I will talk to them for 20 to 30 minutes to see if they qualify. It is at no financial investment on their part. And what will happen from that is, if they qualify, then they... Now, it could be, they can leave it until the last day, and if there is a spot, and they qualify, they can have that spot. It's that simple. The first 10 to 12, and the reason it's 10 to 12 is, if it's really difficult, I'm going to make it 10. If it's people that are open, then kind of like these two friends that you know, Mm -hmm. if they're open like that, and very like... a. Like I will do everything and anything to get rid of this. I want to be alive for my children. I want I know I've got something to do here. I want to do it while I'm here this time around. Now I'm gonna put as many of them in as possible, and the other one is this. Women with children. They're gonna leave children behind. See my mother my daughter left two children. And two grandchildren behind. I'm going to do everything I can to change that for somebody so that they can be here with their children. Okay? And so, dawn at imenergy.ca tagged free to be me, and I will get back to them. The longer they leave it, the less chance they have. I already have somebody from North Carolina. I have somebody from New Mexico. I have somebody from California already in place. They all three are qualified. So there's only, at the most, nine spots to So if they have it, I don't care their age. I would like it to be younger. I, 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 I do have a preference, like I do have that, the I, I would like it to be mothers of children is my, my preference, but I don't care which, where it is in the body. I don't care what stage it's at. You know, there's a kid I talked to yesterday morning. 22 years of age was given three weeks to live a month ago. 22 was given three weeks to live. And he's coming from North Carolina. And he's got such an attitude. I I, I never promise anything. I'm just trying to say this is what happens to people. And with his attitude, I've never seen anyone not have the result they wanted, Ever. Because he's a prime candidate. which Kind of like those other two women. The, the two that we're talking about that we both know. Yeah. I, I want to fill the room with those kinds. <laughs> okay? They're so the easy world, to work with. The
0: world probably wants to uh, fill itself with uh, people like that. Yeah,
1: yes. And that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea for people to be in their life. That's it. Because when we're in our life, the only way we can be in our life is our hearts open. The only way we can have our hearts open is clean up this stuff. That the and to feel uh, have our divine worth. Now here's where people get mixed up. People say love is the answer. I totally disagree. Completely totally disagree. It is an answer because I believe there's two words that's the answer. It's lo- I call it love worth. It's one word because I've seen people that are very loving and very kind and very gentle and very giving, and they got the they got the worth the size of an ant. Okay? No. It has to be both. To be this. Okay? And so it's love worth. One word. Love worth. And it happens within one one thousandth of a second. With the heart open, you have access to your worth. And if you don't have your heart open, you can't have access to it. And if you're doing it the other way, you'll be building a something that has to do with, uh, with, uh, force rather than work, uh, value, uh, sorry, power. The true power of who we are. The true power of who we are. And it's only by cleaning this up that we really truly find out what that is. Now you're kind of like a, a salmon swimming back to its home. You figured it out to a degree. They still got the spider You got still, so there you go. Blake. There you go, buddy. that says so much to me. Even though, listen, most people would just Dream of having what you have. Just like those two people, especially the home that I was in, that husband and wife. Most people is like, wow, look at them. Yeah, yeah. what they had here was amazing. And the shift was amazing. Okay? It's at all levels. And money and prestige and success, none of that, none of that can be this. So anyway, very exciting. Absolutely. And to have 12 people with the Christmas present of having the experience of being in this and the possibility of not having the disease that they have right at this moment would be the most heartwarming thing I could ever imagine.
0: Absolutely. Again, why don't you toss down that email address one more time, just in case the people want it, and then we'll wrap it up from
1: there. You betcha. It's Don, D-O-N-N, two N's, I-A-M, energy, I-A-M energy dot C-A. So
0: Don at I am energy dot C-A. Well, thank you, Don. I really appreciate you coming in tonight and, you know, getting down with us and stuff and uh, you know, and just being open and vulnerable. And, you know, that was kind of like my whole point at, at the beginning is like when we, when we start at a place of vulnerability and when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, um, we also allow other people to be vulnerable too. So, um, you know, with you being vulnerable on the podcast today and, you know, kind of like showing like, you know, some of the struggles that you've been in your life, that's why I wanted to highlight, you know, some of the things that I've, you know, kind of experienced and how I've got to where I've at today because I think that those are some of the foundations of people really? starting to be able to get to like a place of loving themselves.
1: Yes. Well now, There's a difference between loving themselves and knowing they're already loved. That's different.
0: And that's where you come in. That's
1: where I come in. Thank you, Don. Okay, man. Thanks so much, Blake. It's an honor. It is an honor.